Before we get started, uh, I was given a prayer request here, and I uh, want to get a chance to pray as a body before we get going here. This is, uh, some of you may know, this is for a young man by the name of Brandon, uh, currently at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, battling seizures, also battling a brain tumor, and we just want to keep him honestly in uh, prayer here. That's the best we can do, and that's what we want to do. So let's start off with just some prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, this individual by the name of Brandon, um, you know, he's been struggling here for quite some time. We just want to pray in the name of Jesus, your hand of health to be upon him, just from head to toe, uh, especially with the seizures going on, that brain tumor going on, lots of health issues. Thank you for being a God that hears, knows, understands, and just uh, We just pray for your healing hand to be upon him. And we just lift this up in the name of Jesus, in your name. Amen. Alrighty, Acts 9. Acts 9, continuing our study here through the book of Acts. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do uh, verses uh, 32 through 43. 32 through 43. Now, a little bit of background here. We've been talking about Saul, who also is known as Paul, for the last few weeks. And for the next couple of chapters, Paul is kind of put on the background for a little bit. And Peter takes the main focus. Now, the reason Peter takes the main focus is we're building up to chapter 10. And chapter 10 is where Peter gets a chance to present the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, this is a very, very important point in the time of church history. I'm willing to bet the majority of us here today are Gentiles, which simply means we're not Jewish. You have to remember, as Christ came, he came as a Jew to die for the Jews and to die for the world, obviously. But the Jews rejected him, and so it very clearly states here in the book of Acts, as the Jews rejected the gospel, the gospel that now comes to us, the Gentiles. And you see here in chapter 10, this happening. This is a big deal. It's a big deal, because from a Jewish perspective, we Gentiles are unclean. God doesn't care about us, but he does. It's a beautiful picture of grace and mercy. So what you have here is Peter being introduced a little bit more. And verse 43 may look like it's not that big of a deal. It says, so that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. That's a great transitional verse. For Peter to stay with a tanner, a tanner would take the animal skins and make things out of them. Peter was willing to be around somebody who would make him unclean. Because from a law perspective in the Old Testament, being around a tanner... It's a very unclean business, and they would be ceremonially unclean. This all builds up to chapter 10, where the gospel goes to the Gentiles. So a little bit of an introduction there, but Peter takes center stage in verses 32 through 43. Now, as we go through these two stories here this morning, it's easy just to look at the stories and say, we've covered this before. You know, the first one is a guy that's been paralyzed for eight years in a bed, and he's miraculously healed. Let's not put God in a box. We know he can do that. We've already seen that before. Amen. Move on. The next story is about a woman that dies, and Peter goes and miraculously resurrects. Well, okay, we've seen that happen before. Amen. But this is what we need to stop and do. I remember after the first Wednesday night I taught, I remember this. Someone told me, put yourself in the message. Put yourself in the message. And so that was 17 years ago, and ever since then I always stop and I say... How am I in this message? Who are we in this? So we're going to look here at two people, one by the name of uh, Tabitha and the other one by the name of Aeneas. And we're going to stop and say, who am I? How does this relate to me? And I think you're going to see a picture of us as we go through this. So verse 32 of Acts chapter 9. Let's jump right into this. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you, arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, once again, let's not downplay this miracle. 
This guy's been bedridden for eight years, paralyzed. We've talked before about this, that if you've been bedridden for that many years, atrophy starts to set in, the muscles are shrinking. For this person to be miraculously healed like this, and as it says right there in verse 34, he arose immediately. That's an amazing miracle. Let's never forget that. But let's talk about us, because as we study this, we're really Aeneas. First thing you see here, in verse 32, they're in Lydda. The name Lydda, that town's name, means strife. Some of you right now are living in a house of strife. You're living in a town of strife. You go to work at a business called Strife. Everywhere you go is strife. It is discord, it's depressing, it's discouraging, it's downtrodden, and your life is just strife. You live at Lydda, just like this guy did. And what happens is, verse 33, you're completely paralyzed by this strife. Life has just paralyzed you. You're paralyzed maybe by a sin in your life that you just feel like you can't ever have victory over. You're paralyzed by relationships that have gone south. You're paralyzed by fear, by worry, by anxiety. So basically, you're living in a town called Strife, and you're paralyzed in life now in this town, and that's where you're at. Now, the beautiful part about this is verse 34 is Jesus Christ comes to heal you. That's what you've got to remember. So you live in Strife. You're paralyzed by something. Christ comes to heal you. Now, what paralyzes you? Now, it may be sin. Maybe there's something you, you just, you've been fighting through and you, you can't get through it. You can't. I mean, you're, you're trying, you're doing everything you can, but it just rears its ugly head again and again and again. And it just feels like it's this ongoing battle that you'll never have victory in. Maybe you're paralyzed by that. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the paralyzing effects of drinking or pornography or temper, anger. I don't know what it is. But it's out there. It's got you. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's fear. It's worry. It's anxiety. You know, I see people that may not be outright sinning, but they're just that fear, that worry, that anxiety paralyzes them. And and they don't think about the things of the Lord. They only think about what's wrong in life. And they're paralyzed by this lack of joy of Christ. Our oldest son, Elias, he is paralyzed by lack of joy. He just is. And we have these moments, we'll be sitting at home, and we've been going through the fruits of the Spirit. So we sit at the dining room table, and it's like, okay, let's talk about the different fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc. So we go around, and we say, okay, name something you're joyful about. Judah, our second, he just wakes up smiling, and he's just joyful with the world. Kenan can usually find something, you know, laden, etc. Elias, Elias, what are you joyful about? Oh, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Nine years old. He's the guy at 40, you're going to be coming to me saying, i got to work with this guy that just constantly brings me down. Lias, what are you joyful about, buddy? you got to have something. I don't know, man, I don't know. Lias, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Yeah, I know that. I mean, yeah, that's great. Nine years old, and he's already sucking the joy out of my life, you know? Sometimes we're paralyzed by things. Yes, sometimes it's outright sin. Sometimes it's just us. And we use this excuse all the time. You've heard me make this joke before. We, we blame it on genetics. You know, my dad had a temper, so I have a temper. My mom was a worrier, so I am a worrier. Those things are not genetically passed on. You choose to have a temper because you choose to have a temper. You choose to be a worrier because you choose to be a worrier. That may paralyze you. But Christ has come to heal you. And I don't know what you brought in today, and you may be living in strife. You may be working at strife. You may be married to strife. You may have kids that are strife. I don't know. But Christ wants to heal you of that. 
He wants to take that away. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans 7. Let's talk about this paralyzing effect of sin. Romans 7, please. Aeneas, paralyzed for eight years, healed by Christ, lives in a town called Strife. What paralyzes us? Let's go to Romans 7. Now, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I love the way the New Living Translation reads this. So this is a little bit different than normally the New King James that I read out here. But Romans 7. Ready? Let's go ahead and uh, pick it up here in verse 14. This is one of the most honest passages in the Bible. Romans 7, verse 14. It says, So the trouble's not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble's with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Verse 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Does that not sum up us, verse 15? I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Boy, that, that's us. How many times, you know, Don and I will be married 18 years, and I don't know how many times over 18 years we've stopped and said, I really don't want to argue, but well, if you don't really want to argue, don't do it. I don't really want to lose my temper. Well, then don't. Listen, I don't really want to say things I'm going to later regret. Well, then keep your mouth shut. How many times do we do this in verse 18? I want to do what is right, but I can't. Verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to, I'm really not the one doing it. sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me. That is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now stop right there. The problem is a lot of us stop at verse 24. Woe is me. Woe is me. Who's going to free me from this awful life of strife and worry and fear? And I'm downtrodden. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. And we sit here and we say, who's going to help me? And we never read verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, you're all paralyzed by something. You all live in Lydda, which is strife. I don't know what your strife is. But you all have something that just knocks you down. It may be emotional. It may be spiritual. It may be physical. It may be sin choices. It may be life situations. And this paralyzes you. So don't take this the wrong way. We don't do anything for the kingdom. Because the only thing we think about is, what's wrong with me? And I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed by life situations that I have no control over. And I would really do all these things for God if I could. Or just let me get through this right now. You're paralyzed. The answer is found in verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Who healed Aeneas? Healed by Christ. Jump back here to Acts 9. And as he was healed by Christ, in verse 34, 
what happens in verse 35. All who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What happened is now this was a witness for Christ. This paralyzed man, healed by Christ, is now a witness for Jesus. Same thing for you and I. Whatever paralyzed you, you are now healed by Jesus, and now go be a witness for him in that area. Maybe you struggled with something, and you've had victory through Christ in it. Now, let the Lord bring people into your life that you can minister to. Maybe you were the one that struggled with some sin. And now you can say, Lord, I I have overcome the sin through you. Not through me, but through you. Lord, bring people into my life that I can say, look how I was healed by Christ. I was paralyzed by this. Maybe you're the one that had the rough situation with the home life, the kids, the marriage, the work situations. I don't know. Lord, bring people into my life that I can say, look what God has done for me. I was paralyzed by this. I was healed by Jesus. And now I want to go witness to other people what you have done. Remember the word that we have been pushing here the last month because it just keeps repeated here in the book of Acts is this idea of discipling. A disciple. A disciple is a follower of a teacher. We follow Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. So I'm a disciple of Christ. But as a disciple of Christ, I make more disciples for Christ. Not through me, but through the Holy Spirit. Disciples make disciples. That's what happens. What happens here when Aeneas is healed? Verse 35, people come to the Lord because of what God did in his life. That's the way the system works. You're paralyzed by sin, living in strife. Christ heals you. Now go tell somebody about it. Let the Lord guide and direct your life and be a witness for him. He has healed you of something. If nothing else, he's just healed you from hell. Spread that. Too often we look at church, once again, as somebody else will say it to them. God has called us. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Let's make disciples and tell them what Christ has healed us from. Now, this is my favorite part of this first point. Aeneas' name means praiseworthy. His name means praiseworthy. Now, that's pretty exciting when you stop and you think, okay, well, he was healed. Obviously, eight years, praiseworthy. Do you realize his name still meant praiseworthy for the eight years that he was paralyzed? Do you you realize how humbling and difficult that would be when someone comes up to you and you're bedridden and you're paralyzed? And what's your name, Aeneas? Oh, that means praiseworthy. Nothing to praise God about, right? Well, we've got this whole idea of praise and worship screwed up, don't we? We come in and praise and worship from this perspective is this. God, you have done something good enough this week to deserve my praise. So I will not praise you for the time that I feel that you have earned it. God is praised because he's just God. Even when this man was bedridden for eight years and paralyzed, God is still praiseworthy. The problem is we look at our life and we say things in my life are not good. Therefore, God must not be doing good. God's goodness, God's praise is not based on what's happening in my life. Because some days I'm living in Lydda, which is strife. God is still God. Yes, praise and worship is you come in and you praise God for what he has done. You praise God for what he's doing, but you also just praise God for being God. He is praised no matter what. So Aeneas, praiseworthy. Well, obviously he's healed. Amen. What happened if he wasn't healed? God's still worthy to be praised. See, God is always praised when the good results and the good opportunities happen. What happens if it's all bad? He's still worthy to be praised because God is still good. That's the beauty and the joy of eternity in heaven. 
God sees that. And we need to see that. Let's build on this. Can you go to Isaiah, please? Isaiah 43. Because this subject of being praiseworthy, that's a struggle. It's a struggle for some people. Because we think God earns praise. God earns worship. We are created just to praise. Isaiah 43. The question comes up of why a lot. It's easy for us to see the story of Aeneas and say, okay, well, I know why God did this. This was a setup for years to get to the point of being healed. People would be saved through this paralyzing sickness that he had. Okay, I get that. What happens, though, when it's you and I, and you're in the middle of strife, you are paralyzed by something, and you're stopping and saying, Lord, I, I don't get this. Do you realize how many times that pops up where somebody says, I, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. This verse tells you what you're supposed to be doing here. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Look at this verse one more time. Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. You were created for the glory of God. Problem is, we think we were created to fulfill our own desires and pleasures in life. No, you were created for God's glory. So when you realize you were created for God's glory, then, Lord, I just praise you because what you have allowed into my life is going to serve a greater good down the road for eternity, and I trust you in this because it's not my life. I'm created for you. And as I'm created for you, you're going to use me in whatever capacity you call me. Now, that takes a lot of faith. Since I've already picked on Elias once, I'll pick on him twice. Elias just turned nine a week ago. And I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, nine years old, now he's now nine. He came to us and said, now that I'm nine, he goes, I really think, and I'm just dead serious, he goes, I really think I need to start looking for a wife. I said, what? He goes, well, you know, I'm going to be getting married here. You know, Dawn and I got married at 19. He goes, you know, I probably should. No, Elias, you don't need to start worrying about a wife just yet. So then his next thing was a job. He wonders if he should start working. And I said, well, you know, buddy, why don't you just let that go for a little bit? And I took him to Jeremiah 29, 11, And, you know, God says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I said, God, God will have a job for you. Don't worry about that. Now his thing is, what happens if I don't like the career that God gives me? <laughs> Lias, bud. <laughs> go talk to your mom. You know? <laughs> but what happens if I don't like the job God gave me? And we're trying to ingrain in him, you were created for God's purpose and glory. It's not about what we want. See, how many of us spend the first 30, 40, 50, 60 years of our life thinking, it's about me? Well, I'm not happy, so this must not be what God wants. This, this, this isn't what I signed up for. Well, I don't know where you sign up for anything. I'm created for God's glory, so Lord, use me. You think Aeneas stopped and said, wow, Lord, eight years of paralysis, amen. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. We're created for God's glory. So once we're created for God's God's glory, what are we supposed to do with this? Verse 10 of Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. 
God says, I've created you for my glory, and your purpose now is to go be witnesses for me, because there is no other God but me, there will be no other God but me, and there is no other Savior but me. So go tell everybody this. Disciples, go make disciples. We know this information. So when somebody comes and says, I don't know what my purpose is in life. I know what your purpose is in life. You're created for the glory of God to go make witnesses and disciples for Christ. That's the big picture. Once you got that done, we can worry about the details later of how you're going to pay the bills. But you're created for the glory of God to be his witnesses. And we need to remember this. So when I look at Aeneas here, and I see his name means praiseworthy. Wow, God is praiseworthy. God is still praiseworthy even when the guy is paralyzed for eight years. Got to remember that. So put ourselves in the story. We're Aeneas, paralyzed by sin, healed by Jesus, living in strife, but healed by Jesus. Let's go tell the world now what God has done for us. Let's be witnesses. Let's move on to the next one here, verse 36. Now, in verse 36, we're introduced now to Tabitha. It says that Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now, and since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter arose and went with them, and we had come. They brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha. Arise, And she opened her eyes up, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when she had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Now we talked about how little means strife. And that makes sense. You know, Aeneas is paralyzed, strife. Joppa means beautiful. And guess what happens in this beautiful world? People die. This world is completely, utterly beautiful. You know, it's going to be a beautiful spring day today. And there's going to be death. Some of the most beautiful areas around here are cemeteries that cover death. And I think this is really interesting that in Joppa, which is beautiful, Peter now deals with death. This world, on one hand, is an amazing world that that you could spend a lifetime and not see all of God's miraculous creation because it's so beautiful. On the other hand, this world is the worst thing in the world. And I sometimes can't wait for physical death to get me out of here to take me home to heaven. This is the contradiction, I think, of Joppa and Tabitha. Beautiful, but death. So what happens here? She's amazingly healed. What a miracle. Once again, I don't want to downplay that. The the Lord just did something amazing here with this woman. And now she is healed. She is now brought back from the dead. That's an amazing witness and miracle. Now let's put ourselves in this position. How are we like Tabitha? Look here at verse 36. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. This woman was full of works, good deeds. What did she do that was absolutely so amazing? Verse 39, she made clothing for widows. Now, I don't know if we put enough emphasis on something like that. Good works and charitable deeds, verse 36. Well, obviously she led a Bible study or a prayer group. I mean, come on. You know, when she died, who came and was weeping in verse 39? The widows. The widows that were in need knew that this woman always watched out for her, for them, I should say. 
See, this is what's so interesting about this idea of charitable deeds and works, verse 36. See, God has called us for his glory. We just read that in Isaiah 43. He's called us to be witnesses. He's also called us in verse 36 to serve. To serve. And this is a part of a healthy walk with Christ. We always say this out here. We believe part of our job as a church is to give you an opportunity for worship, an opportunity to be fed, an opportunity for evangelism, an opportunity for fellowship, but also an opportunity to serve. And if there's not an area which you're serving in, I highly encourage you to prayerfully consider that. And it's not because we're trying to do some service Sunday out here and get people signed up. No, you go seek the Lord and where you're called. Now, here's the problem. Anytime you hear service at church, well, it's only, only one of two things. You either got to clean the church or help in the back. Those are the only two areas. No. This is what's fascinating. This woman, her service, verse 36, was making clothes, verse 39, for the widows. Obviously, it impacted them. For them to show up weeping and mourning and bringing the clothes with them shows how much of an impact she had on their life. What we like to do at this opportunity, or I should say at this spot, is to give you an opportunity some other areas of service that, that you may not know about. And what I do is I just throw it out there and I let the Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct. And if something just, just uh, checks your spirit and you say, hey, that's something I can get involved in, come see us. Because what happens is we only think about serving in the back, cleaning. What about these other charitable deeds? Here's just a couple things I'm going to throw at you there. Let the Lord lead on this. You know, one of the things that we do every uh, Wednesday, excuse me, uh, the first Wednesday of the month, is we do these fellowship meals. A great time of food and fellowship in the back before Wednesday night church. You know what? The, the gal that normally leads it up isn't able to do it June, July, and August. We're looking for someone to maybe do that June, July, and August. Maybe you can do a month. Maybe you and a partner could do a month. You would take care of providing the meal for that. And we can give you all the details if that's something that interests you. There's an opportunity to serve. Another thing that's coming up, we do this about every six months or so, is a car care. We're going to be hopefully doing that in May or, or June. You may not be the type of guy that would ever go back and serve in the back. And we may not want you to ever go back and serve in the back. But you're completely okay with crawling under some car and letting oil get all over you. Car care coming up, May and June. Keep that in the back of your mind. If you're interested in that, you can see Jason Phillips. If you don't know who that is, I'll point that out to you. Another one, you know, we got a group that's going to be going down to uh, Shawnee for a Johnny and Friends missions trip, and we've done that for the last few years. We want to do another missions trip. And so maybe you have a heart for missions, and you're like, I would really like to do this, but this daunting task of how do I do a missions trip? We don't know how to do one either. So come see us. Let's work together as a team because we got people that want to go. we got the resources to send them. Maybe that's something that you feel led to get involved with. This is what I'm saying. So often it's like, well, there's no place for me to serve. Oh, man. You know, just a couple weeks ago, servants went out and got all those stones out of the yard into the driveway. Now, some of you may not even have noticed that. But I'm telling you right now, the guy that's going to mow the yard this spring, he'll notice. Those are the little things. I'm telling you right now, if you would have been out here, when was it? Was it Tuesday? I lose track. No, Thursday. Thursday. The parking lot was completely flooded again. Servants are out there in the rain, and they made sure that thing got pumped out, and now you have this nice, dry parking lot out there. There's all these things that happen. It's not just in the back. It's not just cleaning. Those are obviously important. See what the Lord thinks. And maybe you got an idea that we haven't thought of. Just come see us. Let us know. Because the thing here about Tabitha, she was, verse 36, full of good works and charitable deeds. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you like it if someone would describe you like that? Hey, have you ever met James? Yeah, James, he's full of good works and charitable deeds. Well, I would like that. I want to be a servant. I, would, I mean, look at verse 39. Her life 
impacted these widows. Whatever the Lord has called you, it may not impact the entire church. There's very few things at church that impact the entire church. Sundays and Wednesdays, I am very blessed to have an opportunity to get up and share. But most of the stuff that happens throughout the church blesses a segment of it. Maybe that's your calling. Find the areas that you have a passion for and say, Lord, how can I get involved with that? Because we need more of these Tabithas. We need more of them to bless the church for the glory of God. So, that's the first part. Look at the second part here. Look at verse 40. Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. What a fascinating way to do this. And if you study this out, why did Peter do it this way? Everybody leave. And he simply said, Tabitha, arise. Well, it sure looks like the reason Peter did this is just because this is how he saw Jesus do it. Now stop and think about this for a second. You're put in a very awkward situation. Peter is a man of God. He's a man of faith. He's a man of the Spirit. There's no doubt about that. He's also a man. He's a man with worry, fear, anxiety. So Joppa and uh, Lydda, about 12 miles away from each other, if I remember correctly, they come get him. Peter, Tabitha died. We need you to come. So for a 12-mile journey, which obviously I'm assuming he walked it, what was he thinking? What do they expect me to do when I get there? I've had that before as a pastor. The world is falling apart. They call me. Lord, what, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? I mean, do you think Peter... See, I, I want to believe that Peter just confidently strolled in there. Everybody leave. Tabitha, arise. Probably changed his voice like that, too. Tabitha, arise. I don't know. Maybe he did. I see Peter probably on the way going, Lord, what am I doing? Seriously, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I mean, Lord, do you want to raise her or not raise her? I mean, because, you know, heaven's great, too. I mean, I mean you know, maybe Tabitha doesn't want to be raised, Lord. I mean, you ever thought about that? She's, in, you know... So, analyzing it. So, he gets there. So, what do you do when the situation is so completely overwhelming and you honestly, I don't know what to do. Just do what Jesus would do. You know, we, this little catchphrase has been around the church for decades now, that what would Jesus do? And the problem is, it's become such a catchphrase now, we just don't even think about it anymore. Do you realize how honest of a statement that really is? Okay, Christ, I don't know what to do, so what would you do? Well, you know what Jesus did in this same situation? In Matthew 9, he told everybody to leave. And in Mark 5, he said, arise. Now, how does Peter know this? Because Peter was part of the inner circle that got to stick around. So what did Peter do in Acts 9? He just did the same thing Jesus did. How simple is that? So you know what that means for you and I? When you don't know what to do, just, just do what Jesus does. Just stop and think, what does Christ do? And I'll do it. So is this action wrong? Well, it's wrong that I'm not going to do it because Christ wouldn't do it's wrong. Is this action a bad witness? Yeah, it's a bad witness. I'm not going to do it. Christ wouldn't do it. Now, the problem with this is there's so many attributes of Christ that we have a tendency just to focus on certain ones. I was talking to someone years ago, and uh, this individual is a very straightforward individual, um, solid, solid person in, in the fundamentals of the faith, no doubt about that. But the attribute of Jesus that he clung to was Christ cleansing the temple. And so anytime something came up, he would do what Jesus did. He just wanted to overturn tables and whip people. That's 
and he backed it up with, well, that's what Christ did. That is one attribute of Christ. Christ also told the woman in sin, go and sin no more. Christ also was willing to touch the lepers. Christ was also willing to sit down and say, let the little children come to me. See, the problem is we have a tendency sometimes as Christians to only focus on the one attribute of Christ. That one guy just wanted to focus on Christ in the temple. And that was his ministry. He's just going to overturn tables left and right. That's what he wants to do. I've run into other people that only focus on the love of Christ. So therefore, nothing's wrong because Jesus just loves you. So when somebody comes and they're doing something that's not biblical, let's just not tell them it's wrong. Let's just love them. Well, that's nice, but they also need to know the truth. I've also run into people that just focus on the truth of Jesus. You're wrong, you're wrong, and you're wrong. Well, Jesus loves them. I know he loves them, but let me tell them they're wrong first. You know, it's understanding the whole picture of who Jesus is. There are times where, you know what, you do need to turn the tables over. There's times where you do need to just show love. There's times where you do need to be brutally honest. And there's times where you need to say, let the little children come to me. See, this, this is Christ. And we have 33 years of his life recorded in four Gospels. Study those. Because when Peter was faced with a daunting task in verse 40, he really just did what Christ did. To the point of everybody leave, to the point of Mark 5, Jesus literally said arise, and that's exactly what Peter does. He just says arise. He did what Christ did. How much different would our witness be our home lives be, our ministry to others, our relationships with others, if we just really stopped and said, I'm just going to treat you like Christ does. I'm just going to do what Jesus would do. Because that's obviously what Peter did. And what's the result of this? Well, let's go back to verse 35. The first result of Aeneas being healed is, all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Amen. Disciples made disciples. What happened in verse 42? It became known throughout all of Joppa and many believed on the Lord. Amen. Disciples created more disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. I encourage you this week, you may be in litter right now, full of strife. But you know what? Christ wants to heal you from that paralyzing sin that you're in. He does. He wants to, and He wants to have you arise. You may be Tabitha. I encourage you, find that area which the Lord has called you to good works and charitable deeds. You will be blessed, and you will bless other people. And if you don't know what to do, and there's going to come a time this week where you don't know what to say... You don't know what to do. How about you just do what Jesus would do? Because he set the example for us. And as he set the example for us, boy, we can live that out ourselves too. So because we're going to stop right there. Because Acts 10 changes direction. And Acts 10 is one of those chapters that you really want to do all 48 verses at once. So just a quick heads up next week when we do Acts 10. Church will be three hours long. Just getting you guys a quick heads up on that. Marv, we come forward here for the final song. I just encourage you here, as you get done, get a chance to go out, fellas.